What's up, guys? Welcome to episode four of Post Game Beers, presented by Sarlos and Sons Family Farm and Vineyards, located in Santa Barbara County, California, which actually won Wine Enthusiast 2021 Region of the Year. So that's freaking dope. Uh, not only is the vineyard located in the wine region of the year, it's actually the poster child for that region. Um, fun fact, wine enthusiasts actually put their vineyard on the cover of the award. Uh, head on over to sarlosandsons.com to shop the 2022 winter allocation. I know I was on the website a few days ago, and they are selling out fast. So uh, make sure you head on over and get yourself some bottles before those bottles are sold out. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Audio quality is pretty dang good. There's really just one more piece of equipment I need to get. That's a headphone jack so that I can plug into the mixer and listen to the guys real time and do some leveling adjustments. But the audio on this episode is pretty good. It's definitely listenable. We hope you guys enjoy the episode and go frogs. Welcome, Frog fans, to episode four of Post Game Beers Podcast, brought to you by the Lupton Drinking Club. After an action-packed week in the games, we've got a lot to discuss, some good and some bad, but we're not going to cheat you out of any of it. I'm your host, Kyle Malloy, at YellMK on Twitter, joined by my co-host, J.D. Sailors, Jacob Sailors. Welcome, buddy. How's it going? I'm not going to lie to you, MK. I'm a little sad today. I hate losing, man. I hate losing. But the good news is I have a long drink. I get to see you boys and your smiling faces, and we have all this sweet new podcasting equipment. Give me the energy I need today. In addition to Jacob, we've got our regular crew here with us, Ray Cartwright, Reed Simpson, and Martin Guerrero. Fellas, how we doing? What's up, MK? I'm just here ready to fucking podcast. Let's go, brother. Let's go. If you guys are listening, it means you've made it through our first three episodes. We'd like to formally apologize to the nation for our audio problems. Uh, but we are getting better. We hope this one's even the best one yet. Speaking of audio, so that's uh, some of the folks use that that word for Wordle. You guys play Wordle at all? Used to. I kind of got bored with it. It's what a common say Wordle. It's a common uh, first word because it's got four audio has four vowels in it. But I don't know if anyone plays that at all. Yeah, I used to. Um, once they switch over to New York Times, so I had an alarm set on my phone at midnight every night to play Wordle to make sure I kept my streak alive. And one day my streak was gone, so I said, "F this, I'm out." And you're done. <laughs> it happened in Arizona. I think. Yeah, it did. Well, people didn't join us to talk about Wordle, even though I brought it up. But um, thanks for sticking with us, guys. Uh, we do hope to continue improving, and we're hopeful that this one's uh, the best yet. So before we get to the bad, let's start off with some positivity. Let's start off with a couple shout-outs. Um, each of us want to maybe shout someone out in the frog community that kind of went above and beyond over the last week. So, Jacob, I'm going to punt it to you. Who you got for shout-outs this week? Do we have the best athletic director in the, in the country or what? Did you guys – I mean, I know y'all did, but let's talk about that uh, that basketball game where we got to – not only did we rush the court against Tech, then we had the game against Kansas where the Barstool guys, the Storm Chasers, and if you guys haven't seen that, look up the Barstool Storm Chasers and look at the documentary they did coming to TCU for the game. Um, Donati, Donati really embraced those guys. Other schools across the country uh, were – basically charging these guys with trespassing for coming to the games. But Donati said, yeah, come on in. And that was that was really awesome to see, kind of growing TC basketball like that, really embracing the energy of the youth. Um, so shout out to Jeremiah Donati, and then shout out to Ian Sadler. He invited us out to lunch on Friday, and we spent a good hour just 
getting to know him a little bit. He gave us some great ideas. Um, going forward, he, uh, we can work with him and really bring you guys some cool stuff. So shout out to those two guys. Ray, who do you want to shout out? I want to shout out the beach volleyball team. Had a home series this weekend, a home tournament, and all they did was crush it. Uh, beat the number 18, 16, 19, and culminating with beating the number three ranked Florida State Seminoles on Saturday. It was just an awesome weekend for them. Shout out uh, our beach volleyball girls. Do you think the five of us could even score a point on them? No. Not a chance. <laughs> I'd probably break my nose but if hey, they got spiked right into my face. If they want to take the challenge, let's set that up. LDC Beach Volleyball Institute. Yes, sir. <laughs> what about you, Martin? Who you got? Uh, it's, yeah, hey, what's up, guys? Uh, I'd like to shout out the um, whoever runs the GoFrogs account, uh, whoever uploads all that data. Yeah, I, I get a lot of, uh, of my info from there. They just do such a great job. For example, I was looking for the history between TCU and UTA baseball because you know those guys, they got to play each other every year. Um, the GoFrogs, they, they keep record of like the last hundred years of playing UTA and then you know you don't really notice that stuff until you go look around at some of what the other schools are are keeping track of and UTA only keeps like the last 20 or 30 years so it's just good to see. Awesome what about you MK? All right I'll, I'll finish up um, by going shouting out to some of our, our friends over uh, previously at Frogs of War but Melissa Trewasser and Jamie Plunkett uh, started a new venture this week. That's how you say your last name. <laughs> uh, at Frogs Today, if you guys aren't following yet, you should, uh, but they're basically just an online sports community. Um, we can never have enough content uh, at TCU, and so we already appreciate some of the new stuff that they're bringing. They're doing, obviously, game-by-game -game tweets. Uh, they've got a lot of videos with players, and I'll, we'll be excited to follow them. You know, we we're only a couple episodes into this deal, but we've had a lot of support from other uh, TCU accounts, uh, whether it's officially associated with, with, with Frogs or not. And so we appreciate that, and we want to you know, give back to them. So shout out to Melissa and Jamie. We wish them the best of luck on uh, moving away from Frogs of War into this new deal called Frogs Today. We'll be back in a second to recap the games of the last week. This episode of Post Game Beers Podcast brought to you by Long Drink, the Finnish legend of 1952. Welcome back to Post Game Beers Podcast. Let's go get started with uh, the recap for the week. We're going to start with Tuesday's game against UT Arlington. Frogs took on the Mavericks and started off pretty strong. Looked like a beatdown from the very beginning. Uh, did become a little bit interesting later on. But um, I'm going to title this the Braden Taylor game. There's going to be a lot of those this year. <laughs> He's going to have uh, some games yeah. where he just goes off. Uh, Taylor went three for four with a home run. Had four RBIs on the night, so he was smashing it. Um, Sacco, again, continued his tear. It was great to see that veteran leadership at the plate. Um, on the mound, we had Cam Brown. He went six full innings. Only allowed two in the first inning and then uh, went on to retire the next 15 batters straight. So after that first inning, gave up a couple, but really settled down and basically pushed the Frogs to a victory later on in the game. So um, after that, after Cam Brown, we saw a number of relievers come in, uh, including Caden Parker, Connor Oliver, Storm Hireholzer. Hope I'm saying that right. Gray Thomas, Caleb Bolden, River Riding. I basically named the entire uh, bench there, but her bullpen. So it was a great night for the Frogs. They ended up winning 8-5. to five. Uh, Again, a little bit interesting in the ninth inning where the Mavericks scored a couple late um, and then had some more runners on, but uh, the Frogs closed it out. So Jacob 
uh, any notes or things that you saw from the game that stick out to you from Tuesday night's uh, matchup? So we anticipated a blowout when we talked about this game in our preview last week. We didn't get that, but we did get a pretty fun game. We were all there. We were having a good time. Uh, pretty entertaining game, even though we would have liked to see kind of stomp on their throats a little more. Um, however, we did see them battle back after UTA got out front in the first inning. A couple of lucky hits to start off, and then a, a couple of hard hit balls put us down two to nothing. Frogs come right back with that Braden Taylor home run. That was really cool to see. So we looked like we took control of the game, and then UTA brings in a lefty, and the offense kind of went cold. That's going to be a theme we're going to talk about today. Uh, like you said, MK, it was good to see some arms like Cademan Parker come in. We didn't know when we were going to get to see him. And, you know, we got the win. Win's a win. Right. So Cademan Parker, what he mentioned, made his collegiate debut. He's a True freshman, 6'4", right-handed pitcher. We weren't expecting to see a ton of innings this year, uh, but it was great to see him out there, um, even if he uh, wasn't out there for very long. Do you guys have anything else about Tuesday, or should we get into Lexington? Lexington. Yeah, let's do it. Let's move on to Friday. Uh, So we'll start with uh, the big picture. But the Frogs lost at Kentucky. Uh, They were playing in Lexington 13-11, probably the most frustrating game of the year so far. Uh, We come out firing with three runs in the first inning, another great start. And I regrettably tweeted at that point that I'm bored with Kentucky. (laughs) (laughs) But We'll talk about this at the end, but a big picture thing is the Frogs come out and they score in a lot of first innings. Great to see. Unfortunately, in the bottom half of the first inning, Austin Krob, our our ace, gets rocked for five runs right away. Uh, And for for some context, he he had yet to give up a run so far in the season. I think he'd gone around 10 innings uh, without – not giving up anything. He only goes two innings into the game, allows seven earned runs, uh, which, again, first time we've seen that with our starters, Krav, Cornelio, and Walker, they've pretty much done what they wanted to do previous two weekends. So this is the first time we had to count on our bullpen really early to pick up the slack. So uh, just after that 7-3 kind of initial start, Frogs respond in the fifth inning. We score five times, so that was a great, great to see them come back in a middle inning. Uh, but then we give up four more to Kentucky right away in the second half of that. Uh, it's tied again in the sixth, but unfortunately we wouldn't score again. And Kentucky ended up uh, scoring enough in the eighth inning, made, making the game 13-11. to 11. So high scoring. Ho- hopefully you guys took the over on that one. But just a rough all-around evening for our pitchers. Um, so, Jacob, big picture stuff. What, what, what do you want to shout out about this game? When we looked at Kentucky last week, it was hard to get a read on this team because they played absolutely nobody, and they won all those games by scoring a lot of runs, so we didn't really know what to expect. Their offense stayed hot like they had all season. Uh, It was a weird game. It's a shame to lose a game where you score 11 runs. I don't think that's going to happen very often this season, and I think Kentucky going forward is going to be a team that's just going to mash. So to see them touch us up a little bit, it was surprising, but looking, looking back at it in perspective, it, that's a team that can just hit. I don't think Krobe will have too many starts like that. Connor Oliver was really good for two innings. That was encouraging. He ran into trouble in his third inning. We just couldn't get those guys out. They were hitting. It didn't matter who we threw out there. They were hitting the ball. Yeah, without looking back at every game, um, giving up 15 hits, that's not going to do good things for uh, a team uh, moving forward. So uh, just another highlight, a couple highlights on, on the night. Um, Nunez, he's going to be a theme of our podcast today. But he had four hits, which was just a precursor to an incredible weekend. Uh, Bishop, David Bishop, the freshman, led the team that night with three RBIs. He just continues to come up huge for the Frogs, batting behind Braden Taylor. Um, and also, just to see them fight. 
you know, they, they gave up seven in the first two innings. And at that point, um, sometimes you can just see on their faces and that, you know, they're, they're shrugging their shoulders if they're going to have a, a, a rough evening and kind of let it happen. But they came back, they tried to, um, you know, score and, and they did end up tying the game, but we just didn't have enough. So, um, Ray, Martin, anything from you guys on what you saw from Friday night? For me, I, Curtis Byrne got hit in the face by a pitch. We, we were talking when we were watching the game that, oh my goodness, is that a concussion? Is that a broken nose? How long is he going to be out? To, uh, so to see him in the lineup the next day was uh, a testament to what a warrior he is. Um, we were uh, pretty worried. For the perspective of catcher depth, because yeah. we've already lost Petrie for pretty much the whole year. So we didn't want to see another catcher go down. Right. So rough night uh, for the Frogs. Uh, Martin, what, what you got? Yeah, so watching that series, it, it reminded me a lot of the uh, Kansas State series last year to end the season. Uh, looks like Kentucky has some bangers, and um, one of the one of the worries I had that game was just how many free passes we were giving uh, Kentucky. And you don't really want to do that when you got a team that that can hit home runs like they did. Um, do you think those go hand in hand when you know they're going to probably mash the ball if you leave it over the plate? You might air towards you know outside of the plate or low a little bit. Probably, but I would rather that they make them earn it instead right. of uh, just putting guys on base. Probably easier said than done when you're not actually facing those guys. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably be scared of throwing something over the plate myself. But uh, we had we gave up four walks, four hit by pitch, and then three wild pitches. And you know that that might have something to do with Burn having to leave the game early. But you just hate to to give away, you know, free bases, free, free base bases, runners, yeah. right? <clears throat> All right, so uh, rough Friday night. Um, at 629 uh, on Friday night, MK sends a text to the boys. Fellas, there's an 80% chance of rain on Sunday in Lexington. Possible doubleheader tomorrow. Weatherman MK. Sure enough, 735 the next day, we get a tweet from TCU Baseball account that says there's going to be a doubleheader on Saturday, a seven-inning game, first game, and, then, game. A, and then a nine-inning uh, second game. So... But we immediately started getting tweets from from our friends at, at different places saying, pace yourselves, uh, Lupton Drinking Club. It's, it's going to be a long day. Yeah. So we appreciate you guys shouting us out. We, we obviously have a brand. So let's move on to game two uh, on Saturday. Game one. Game two of the game series. Of the series. I'm sorry. Game one on Saturday. I'm the final you. was 5-1 to one, Kentucky over the Frogs. To be honest, there's not a lot to say about this game. It was only seven innings. It was pretty quick. I completely forgot everything that happened. Cats jump out to a lead in the first inning, uh, one to nothing, and really they never looked back. Uh, both teams scored in the fifth inning, but with only six hits for the Frogs in the entire game, it just we just could not push anyone across. So some interesting notes. We saw a couple lineup changes on Saturday's game. Uh, Garrison Berkeley, a redshirt uh, freshman, came in. Uh, he uh, played left field, had a hit. Mason Speaker, big, big 6'4", 240-pounder, came in at DH, didn't have a great day at the plate. Um, and then a couple relievers, we saw Garrett Wright and Cohen Feaser. But, uh, Jacob, uh, what did you see from Saturday's first game? Well, like you said, MK, uh, it was kind of a flash of a game. Uh, with it being kind of an early start after a really long game on Friday, it just kind of felt that game came and went. I, myself, I didn't have a good feeling about that game after, you know, a tough loss on Friday. And then Kentucky gets a lucky run, a wind-dated run there in the first. And now we're chasing the game already. Um, watching Riley Cornelio, it was kind of a mixed bag for me. I saw flashes of absolute greatness and then times where he struggled with command before eventually giving up some runs. Um, did he go five innings? Four. Okay, so in, this, in the fifth inning, he got in trouble. 
gave up some runs, and it felt like at that point, you know, it was going to take something pretty miraculous to win. Uh, we got to see Garrett Wright. Unfortunately, he struggled with command. But the thing I want to talk about with you guys real quick is in the top of the third, we're down one to nothing. Eli gets another single. Curtis Burns rounding third. Uh, the left fielder's coming up with the throw, and Bill's waving him home. And I know we, we debated this in the group chat, so I thought we could talk about it here. Personally, I didn't mind that. Now, I've disagreed with Bill plenty of times over the years, plenty of times. But this is one where I say, you know what? we got to make something happen here. It's two outs. you got a redshirt freshman in left field. He's got to make a throw. We, make, catcher's got to catch the ball, make a tag. All we have to do is run home and score. So to me, it felt like the probability of us scoring there was on our side. It didn't work out. So let's talk about that for a minute. What, do, what did you guys think? So strategically, I did not have an issue with sending a runner there. Uh, you got a redshirt freshman in left field. I mean, left fielders don't usually have the best arms, but um, the only issue I really had with that was you know there's going to be a play at the plate, and you got Curtis Byrne who just got hit in the face the day before. I, I, I might not have risked sending him there just, just to try to avoid, avoid another injury. Okay. That, that was really the only issue I had with that. I can you know, definitely it, see that. I don't score at that point. It was one, one to zero. One to yeah. Kentucky. We're chasing the game. We had a tough loss. Two I was trying to make something happen. Yeah, it makes sense sending somebody. I just don't know if it's Curtis Byrne, especially, you know, you're, you're kind of light at catcher. Right. You know, anybody else, probably a better runner. Um, you know, you got tired legs, you know, squatting behind the plate. But luckily, I mean, he stayed in the game. He played the next game. Yeah, I recognize your risk there. I just don't see that as reason enough to hold the runner there. That's my point. Ray, what do you think? College fielders are weird, especially left fielders. Usually their arms aren't the strongest. Um, so make them make a play, and that left fielder made one heck of a throw. You've got a coach that's aggressive on the Bates pass. You know, we're going we're gonna to have some great plays, and we're going to regret some of the decisions that, you know, are made on the field. And, you know, what, what's Eli, like eight for eight stolen bases this year? I mean, right. So, I mean, if it was him, that I, I might have felt a little more comfortable sending him, but we'll see. So, um Long story short, sleepy Saturday uh, for the Frogs. They, they re really didn't uh, do much. Nunez had another great game. It was great to see Byrne back. We mentioned he got hit on the, in the face on Friday night. Um, so it was really nice to see him uh, back in the starting lineup because we didn't know if that was going to be serious or not. Anything else from the first game on Saturday, game two of the series? Yes. Um, we touched on a, a little bit of struggling against left-handed pitchers. Oh, good point. They Those... did start a lefty on Saturday. So those issues are going to be exacerbated when, when guys are – those lefties that we struggle against are really clean as far as the free passes and stuff. So so their whole pitching side for game two only gave up one walk the entire game, no hit-by-pitch, no wild pitches, uh, none, none of that free stuff that we were giving away to them. And the, the three guys, Eli, Bishop, and Curtis Byrne, those guys accounted for five of the six hits we had that game and, you know – You'd like to string some of those together, but, you know, the problem was we had a couple guys in between each of those who went over. Right. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So, all in all, it's uh, early Saturday afternoon. Frogs have already lost the series to Kentucky. They've gone 0-2 in Lexington. Oof. And uh, they're tucking their tails between their legs, and we've got game, game two of the day, game three on the series coming up. So Salvage Saturday. You, you notice on Twitter there's a lot less chatter from Frog fans because everyone's just kind of embarrassed a little bit about the weekend so far. We, we were hoping they walk in and, and really dominate. But um, let's move on to game three. This one, if, if, game, if Friday night was the most frustrating game of the year, this, one, this might have been the oddest game of the year. Um, so 
Bucks come out scoring in the first again. Uh, Season-long trend so far, great to see. They score three runs, then get another run in the third, the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth innings. Hey, we're up seven to nothing. What could go wrong? Well, in the seventh inning, the Cats score six runs on two home run dingers, including the Grand Slam. They, they ended up tying it in the eighth. And so at that point, um, everyone's thinking, uh, well, game's lost at this point. How, how can you go up seven to nothing, uh, let the other team come back and tie and actually win the game? At that point, I'm sure that the, you know, the attitude in the dugout was, was a little rough. So fortunately, uh, in the ninth inning, Frogs score five runs. They end up, that, that carries them to victory. But all in all, it was kind of a crazy game where you're leaving feeling, okay, great. We, we salvaged that last game, but woof, uh, giving up that many runs later on in the, uh, in, in the game. It looked like this was going to be an easy win, obviously, when you're up seven to nothing. But if you can score seven runs, what's stopping the other team from doing the same, right? And I know I was watching this game with Ray, and when we were up seven to nothing in the sixth inning, I told him, I said, let's keep stockpiling runs so we don't get SEC'd in the last three innings by mashers. And then what happens the next inning? A grand slam, a two-run home run, now it's seven-six. Then Kentucky ties the game, and I texted you boys, and I said, it's nut check time. We're going to learn a lot about this team here in the next couple innings. You know, are they going to are they just going to fold and take the sweep because oh god, how can we ever overcome Kentucky coming back and tying the game? Or are they going to pass the nut check, score some runs and close it out? And you know what? It was a tough weekend, but I really liked how that game ended on a high note um, with them not really being too shook about giving up that lead and just coming out and. Not only just barely scraping by and winning the game, they scored five in the ninth to mm-hmm. close it out. Yeah, a few more, a uh, few more frogs up things on my end. Um, Brett Walker, a strong awesome six again. innings. He just he was the best, obviously starter of the weekend. Went strong, uh, six mm-hmm. innings. Gave up the grand slam, but uh, and they pulled him for a few other guys after that. Uh, he did not give up the grand slam. Ray is Augie. jumping in here. <laughs> Augie gave up the game. He is correcting me on the spot. Thanks, Ray. We appreciate you being here tonight. Uh, <laughs> uh, season high, 18 hits for the Frogs. It's just so, that MK so that, ego coming out. Right <laughs> it was great to see us swinging in that last game. Um, Warriors, you know, I'm going to shout him out just for a second. He did have a great assist out from right field, throwing a, throwing a runner out at the plate, which is a pretty exciting. You could see play. that on the broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> No, that was a great play. But gosh, we were watching it from the blimp that game. Goodness gracious, SEC Network. What are you doing? Uh, Taylor and Sacco, three hits each. And then Eli Nunez, his name keeps coming up. He goes on the weekend, nine for 14, including a triple. Um, if he is, if he continues anywhere close to this pace all season, we're going to be in great shape with that leadoff. Just never make it out. Let's go win a natty. <laughs> What about you guys? What did y'all see in that game? There's kind of a continuing theme that you see in this game where you saw it against San Diego State. You saw it to an extent against Cal. You saw it uh, on display Friday night against Kentucky, even though it didn't work out. And then again, um, these frogs battle back. Uh, yeah, they do. You never feel like they're completely out of it. That mental edge. Like I said about that that nut check right there, you've already lost two games. You're you're kind of ready to go home at that point. It's been a long weekend, but they stayed tough and won the game. I I love to see that. A couple uh, other notes, um, Martin Ray. You guys got anything else for that last game on Sunday or Saturday? Yeah. So Eli, it looks like he hit 6.92 on the weekend against Kentucky. Um, he had a triple, a couple walks. 
He even gets intentionally walked Amazing. in the ninth <laughs> inning of that, com- of, you know, trying to save, preserve the lead. That, I thought that was that's just the respect that Kentucky showed. I mean, their their Twitter, yeah, even, even social media, yeah, right? gave him a shout out. Yeah, like you know, that guy, that guy really left his mark in Lexington. Please don't transfer to Kentucky just so you can hit that park. Yeah, okay. <laughs> NIL, NIL is, is strong right now, but please stay with the frogs. <laughs> All right, so it was great to leave uh, Lexington with a win. Frogs are actually staying in the Bluegrass State. Uh, we'll talk about the matchup against Louisville in just a little bit, but they've got they're they're playing on Tuesday, and so they're hanging out. Uh, they didn't get to leave and come back to Fort Worth early. Um, we will be right back uh, to Post Game Beers podcast right after this. Post Game Beers podcast brought to you by F3 Fort Worth and none other than Mama Mia. F3 stands for fitness, fellowship, and faith. We've got workouts around the city, including TCU, Overton Park, Walsh Ranch, Mira Vista, and more. They run six days a week. They're for men and they're free. Come check us out. Welcome back to Post Game Beers podcast. We uh, just broke down the week of games for the Frogs. Overall, go two and two on the week. Uh, they lose the series that at Kentucky. Um, you know, when you look at the big picture, no one likes to lose a game, but it, it's not like football, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. we, we have the opportunity to lose a few series and still be fine in the long run. This was an away series, so that's going to even look better, um, even though we lost it, the fact that we're playing at Kentucky and not at home. And so it doesn't mean that the season's over. Uh, stick with the frog. So uh, Jacob, I know you want to share a few things before we get into uh, some big picture stuff that we've seen over the weekend and, and for the season. Right. Obviously, it's more fun to win and lose. I think or win than lose. I think we all agree there. And yes, I think a lot of fans may be panicking a little bit, like you said. I don't know if it's just a, you know, either you just hate to lose or it's kind of a football mentality bleeding over where a loss here and there could ruin your whole season. I think um, also going seven and one, we've got high expectations, even despite for who, sure. who we're playing. When were we know? ever losing it? I think we had some of that on the podcast last week because right. we definitely saw us winning this series, and we easily could have. You know, we could have had that Friday night game, mm-hmm. but just let's go back a little bit. Let's. I, I, I looked at um, five of our last six um, teams that made the postseason. Let's go back to 2014, team that went to Omaha. In that year, we lost games to UTA, Sam Houston State. And I think I have a typo here in my notes. It says RCU. I don't know if that's supposed to be. If we lost to RCU, that's a problem. Let's just say we lost to RCU. Okay, whatever. So I'm pretty sure if we go back and put ourselves in that time, it's like, man, who do we have in this team? Pitching sucks. Whatever. Whatever we were saying at that time. Let's go to 2016. Lost opening night to Loyola Marymount. Later on, lost to Gonzaga. 2017, lost two out of three to UC Irvine. Following Tuesday, got shut out by Long Beach State. 2019, lost games to Rice, Long Beach, San Diego, and Seton Hall. Yikes. Did I say, I'm sorry, what year did I say? Did I say 2019? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. 2021, last year, lost two out of three to Louisiana Monroe. So we go out to Kentucky, an SEC, SEC team who had only lost one game all season, a team that can absolutely match. They're going to compete in the SEC. I don't think they have the pitching. I think they're a fringe postseason team. I agree. But that's, that's a good team. The SEC is loaded. Uh, we'd love to see Kentucky do well. Obviously, that helps the Frogs. I, they'll probably be middle of the pack by the end of the year. So let's not zone in on just a couple losses. Let's, let's keep this in perspective. In history, teams lose games. We play 60 of these things. Sometimes you're going to trip up. 
So that's what I, that's what, I, did you guys have anything on that? I just wanted to get that out there just kind of as an FYI. So don't panic. Is that what I'm Bottom here? line. All right. So now let's panic. Let's talk about some of the issues that we were discussing. Time. Ray's, Ray's calling for the ball here. Um, I mean, you can even look around the national scene. Thank you. Yes, I did have that Seeing uh, mm -hmm. big Thank powerhouse you. schools dropping right. a series to directional colleges where we dropped a college or a series to an SEC middle of the pack team. Thank um, you, Jim. It could always be worse. This isn't the end of the world. The Frogs will bounce back at a big game coming up against Louisville. Right. So let's talk about now. Uh, where do you guys want to start? You guys want to start about struggles against left-handed pitching because this was a theme last year. I wish there were stats available on what our splits are against righties versus lefties, but just from watching the games and picking up on it early last season, we definitely noticed um, inability to hit left-handed pitching, and it's already shown its head this year. So yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. What are you guys' thoughts? We noticed that pretty much in the first I mean, two episodes where we were nervous about um, the frogs. They, we have a lot of left-handed hitters. And, right. and so that, I don't know if that necessarily should matter, but... But even a righty struggle against lefties. They do, yeah. Martin, what you got on left-handed uh, hitting or, or maybe some uh, roster construction on how we're, we're designing it so far this year? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> one, of, one of the guys who probably does the best against left-handed pitching is probably Curtis Byrne. Sometimes, you know, just with him being so low in the in the batting order, he's not going to come up with uh, a lot of guys on base. And he's not going to get as many at bats either. Right. Yeah. You know, over the course of the season. Yeah, batting seventh or eighth, you're you're probably going to get like one or two fewer, not two, but like one, maybe two fewer at bats through throughout the series. Right. Um, and that's really that's really a guy that you'd like to be up there with uh, guys on base or. Or whatnot. And sometimes in conference play, and a bat here and a bat there can swing the whole series and your whole season. Right. So um, one one idea that I have is maybe changing up the lineup, maybe just versus um, left-handed pitching. I noticed we did some of that with uh, Garrison, Berkeley, Berkeley and Mason, uh, Speaker. Mason, Speaker. Mason Speaker. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, they're batting eight and nine. Yeah. In the seven-inning game especially. Oh, yeah. Those guys didn't even come up to bat until the third inning. That's almost halfway through the game. <laughs> and so uh, one, one idea that I have, just throwing it out, um, Eli and Braden, they're locked into that one and three hole. Um, I mean, these guys are playing like All-Americans. But maybe, maybe move Bishop up to the second hole, and then you protect Braden by having guys on base instead of, you know, I know protection – you see that as like the guy behind the hitter. Right. That's why he's batting fourth. But I mean, if you got two guys on base already in the first inning, you th you think these pitchers are gonna be like, oh yeah, let me load the bases. No, and we've talked about this, you know, kind of in our own chats that college pitchers don't pitch around guys typically. Right. I mean, Tommy White and NC State had nine home runs in two weeks. Why? Because right. pitchers don't pitch around guys. Right. They w they want to get outs because walks can lead to errors. They can lead to you know more runs. Um, yeah, go ahead, Ray. What do you got? Uh, I mean, you can even protect Brayton. If you move Bish into the two-hole, you can move Sacco up to that four-hole and put him behind Brayton. Yeah. Or Curtis, yeah, to Martin's point, and you still have you know, a bat that you fear. Yeah, I mean, I think the overall idea is you want to get your best hitters in the best situations with the most of bats. So Martin, go on. Yeah, the, the guy I was thinking about was Curtis Byrne batting fourth behind Braden. I mean, when you got a guy like Eli hitting freaking 700 for a weekend, you know, he pretty much guarantees that, that Curtis Byrne is going to hit in the first inning with guys on base. And then 
once once you go the, through those four, you know, maybe have Sacco, maybe Gray Rogers or Boyers, you know, to clean up any guys that we, you know, got on base. And then, and then you know, moving those guys lower in the lineup, maybe w- those guys would see more pitches right. to hit where they might not get those, you know, with Boyers hitting second or something. Yeah, because with those guys hitting lower in the lineup, then the pitcher thinks ahead of, oh, crap, I've got the, uh, the top, top of the lineup coming. Up. I need mm-hmm. to get these guys mm-hmm. on. So right. they're seeing better quality pitches. And we see that even with our own pitchers when eight, nine holes. All right, these are must-outs because we do not want to see two guys on for the stud leadoff hitter. We saw that versus Cal in that nine hole. Yeah, oh, that, that won the game count. Yeah, we saw that a lot last year with uh, Phillip Sykes. He, he began most of the season hitting eighth. And he was just getting fastballs right down the middle, and he was crushing them. Right. So that's, a, that's one of the reasons I I struggled to like consider bringing Sacco to the two hole. So I think he's seeing just the perfect pitches he needs to in the six seven. Uh, I get a little concerned if you bring him up to that two hole, he might not get as many. Well, let's let's get into that two hole a little bit. And well, and then Kay, I'll let you start. This well, another one thing that was mentioned. So Martin said, "Hey, maybe bring Bishop up to the second to the two hole." And so let's. <laughs> that moves somebody out of the two hole. That moves somebody out of the two hole. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. Um, before we get into the Luke Warriors discussion, we want to mention that we are not talking about Luke Warriors, the man or the TC student. We know. Or shoot, that, even the player. Even the player. With just the performance that we've seen, and it's about observations that we've noticed so far and things that we might um, want to try something better. And so, this is about also, too, I'm sorry, MK, but just getting the guys in the best position to succeed, finding exactly. the right roles for them, either in the field, in the bull, out of the bullpen, whether it's start, a starting rotation, or as we're talking about now, where do they hit in the lineup? So what's the one thing that Luke Boyers brings to the lineup that's unique and maybe one of the reasons why he's in the two-hole? I would say that the reason he's there now is because of potential. It has to be there. I mean, we saw it in Arlington. He hits a monster bomb. I think that's what they're hoping is going to come around. So another thing, is he our only switch hitter? He is not. Uh, Sacco. Sacco's our switch hitter too? Is that our only two? To Plansky's a switch hitter, but he only has one at bat. So yeah, let's but, say but, Sacco. But is that one of the reasons why he might be batting second? I would because... say yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Martin, what do you think? So one of the, the old school thinking ways of uh, lineup construction for that two hole is like you want a guy up there who's uh, battling, taking pitches. They're going to have long at bats just uh, to set up, you know, your three and four guys, let them see some pitches. And that's that's one thing that Boyers does. He he goes up there, he sees a lot of pitches and he battles. Yeah, he does battle. And I, and I think about that at bat yesterday. He came up in a key situation. I don't have the exact situation in front of me, but it was definitely, it was I believe it was after an Eli RBI base hit. And we had guys first and second, two outs. And I think at this point, we're down by one, right? That cut it to two to one, I believe. And Boyers got down 0-2, battled back, fouled a lot of pitches off, ran the count full before he eventually struck out on a high fastball. So to your point, he does battle, but go on. I think one of the issues is the top four in the lineup, there's a clear outlier. So you've got Eli, who is just dominating it. His batting average is 462. Uh, Boyers coming in second at 234. And then Braden Taylor and David Bishop are at 410 and 375, respectively. But um, one of the things I wanted to point out about Boyers, he has 11 hits on the season. He's only got one of those hits that's over a single. Um, that was a dominant home run at Globe Life last weekend, right. which was great to see. We want to see more than that, more more of that. 
Uh, but his slugging percentage has kind of been abysmal. So when I look at Boyers, and I think we're up to 200 at-bats in his career, he's profiling, and Martin, you can uh, agree or disagree, he's profiling as like a bottom three hitter, like a guy you still want the lineup, but I think we can get more production out of that two-hole. Yeah, I mean, I think like the perfect spot for him would probably be like seven where you seven or eight where you right. kind of want to restart the lineup and, right. and get guys on base for guys like Elijah, guys, you know, just just get guys on base when Elijah's hitting freaking 600 for a series, right, you know. Right, right, So, yeah, so last year, Warriors in 150 at-bats, hit 307 with a slugging in the 350s. If you're getting that out of your seven spot, you're rolling, right? You're getting that out of the two spot with lots of strikeouts, not very many walks, not a lot of power, it's going to put a strain on the top of your lineup, you're going to have Braden Taylor and David Bishop and those guys coming coming up with one or two outs, or you're going to have the two-hole come up in a key situation where you could have, you know, somebody in there with a little more consistency, a little more power. You know, it's just right now I just think it's putting a little bit of a parachute on this lineup. Yeah, just to summarize, I, the LDC is not talking about taking Luke Boyers out of the lineup. We, we just want to see maybe – a better option for that two hole to get. Um, we've just seen too many outs at the beginning of games, you know, whether it's a strikeout or, or whatever, where it's just not uh, what we're hoping to see to start us off. And what's interesting to me too is Kirk has shown that he's going to play with the lineup a little bit. He's subbed guys in and out, even within the games. You got a guy, it goes over two. Kirk say, all right, let's get a fresh bat in there, right? Or but let's move that, guys around. All those changes have happened at the bottom of the lineup, though. Exactly. So why that is that one it weird? It's interesting to me is how fluid the bottom of that lineup has been with either order or seven guys in and out. And the, the top of the lineup is just static, mm -hmm. which is okay for all of it. But, I mean, I mean there's, no, it's there's too, no real way to get around this other than we need more production out of the two holes. This we is the time power. of the season where we should be you know, moving around guys at the top of the lineup. Yeah, because we're at 50 at-bats with these if, guys. If now. we think that they might have something to do. Ray, what you got? I mean, you're starting to see teams potentially walking Elijah just to pitch to Luke. I've I never think a lot of that's Elijah, but I think your point still stands. I mean, it is a lot of Elijah, but they're, they don't want to see Eli hit. They'd rather right. know that we have a better chance to get this out against uh, Luke. So I'm right. jumping ahead, but one of our Twitter questions from Tom Elias. 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 Tom Elias. He's a friend of mine, and he blasted me last week for getting his name wrong. Thanks, Tom, for writing in. But who should be in that two-hole? Hopefully we answer that question. I think one of the first observations from Martin or suggestions was, you know, maybe we move up uh, Bishop uh, right. since he's raking. Obviously, it, it, would, it would drop his team-leading RBI number a little bit. Uh, but if he's still hitting that strongly, I mean, why not? I think it would be good for overall production RBI, the RBI stats kind of an, it's not an empty stat, but it's who's in front of yeah, you. Yeah, there's a lot kind of, of stats. There's a lot of dependencies. A lot of variables right. in that stat. Um, as long as they don't try to change Bishop, you know, as far as uh, if they do move him or decide to move him to the two hole, you know, as long as they're not forcing him to, hey, man, you, you know, you got to watch pitches until you get a strike or something. Right. Because he's kind of aggressive, and uh, I think that's a good thing as far as, uh, David Bishop in, in particular or specifically because he has really good bat-to-ball skills. I mean, this is probably one of the best guys in the lineup that can stroke a single into right field, 
on a pitch that's outside. You know, he, he's one of our better. Yeah, yeah, one of our one of our better guys that can go outside of the zone. Somebody like Vlad Guerrero. You know, he's yeah, maybe it's not a a freaking strike, but he's still you know doing damage with right. the pitch. Exactly. Well, we've got in the weeds on that two-hole uh, position or hitter, and uh, as well as lineup construction. So, if you're still with us, it means you are part of the Lupton Drinking Club because <laughs> you're here all yeah. the way. People want to know how do I join. Well, all right. So let's jump into luppies. a couple more uh, Twitter questions from Ethan King. We have: Do you think our pitching is going to be an issue as we continue against better competition? All right. Let's let's break this down because Ray and I had this discussion at the bar, and. Last year, you would say last year was a good team, right? You know, they had the potential. They faltered at the end, but they had the potential, right? Is it the best pitching staff we ever had? Is it the best bullpen? Probably not. That remains to be seen, but this is the question asked, right? Let's compare this year's staff to last year's staff. You have Austin Krogh, who's the one returning guy. It's safe to say he's going to be better this year than he was last year, okay? So right now, you're already thinking the staff's better. Then... You have uh, Riley Cornelio, right? Mm -hmm. And you can compare him to Russell Smith, who Russell Smith, he started he had a good season overall. He started off really hot. And then down the stretch he struggled a little bit. So you could you could safely say Riley Cornelio and Russell Smith will be equal. Then you go to Sunday. Brett Walker's been amazing. And we struggled in that Sunday spot last year, uh, changing guys in and out. So I'm confident to say our Sunday pitcher, our, our, our Sunday pitching is going to be better this year. Just a and reminder, he's a transfer from Oregon, um, right. only with us for one year. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So we've solidified the Sunday spot, what it looks like. And then you have Cam Brown on Tuesday. And that was another area last year where we were running guys in and out trying to find a solution. So that last year's team was good, and this year's pitching, I think, is going to be better. Now we can talk about the bullpen. But I think it's a little early to say that Cornelio is going to be Safely equal. I didn't say. I, I didn't say safe. I'm just saying it's a good guess to say he's going to be equal. So, do we think after one uh, iffy weekend on Friday and Saturday night that we would play with the starting pitchers for against Army? No, Arm, not at all. Say? Not at all. Because um, here's what I'll say about that too. If our pitch, let's let's just say our pitching staff on the on the weekend and on Tuesday night is going to be better than last year. Remember that the other teams we play, they have to roll out pitchers too. Right. So if we're going to look at the Kentucky series and say, you know, our pitching is going to give up, you know, whatever, however many runs per game. Well, yeah, the season's screwed. Right. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think this was just we, we ran into a weird weekend against some hot bats and that's not going to really project forward into conference play. So moving on from the starting rotation onto the bullpen, we've got a number of names that we've seen throughout mm -hmm. the year. Um, some of the guys that we've seen the most up uh, more than five innings so far, River Ridings, obviously one of our strongest closers. Um, Marcelo Perez, he's uh, had a strong start so far, and Caleb Bolden. Yep. Um, after those guys, just a, a ton of names. Storm, uh, Garrett Wright, Cohen Feaser, Luke Savage, Connor Oliver, Gray Tom. I mean, the rest of the bullpen. So anybody that we want to point out specifically or things that we want to mention? Connor Oliver. I, I really like what I've seen from him, even with uh, a rough inning. Maybe he's not a guy you stretch out into three innings. I don't know. Maybe he is. But he was really good Friday um, in those two innings that – those first two innings he pitched. Anything, fellas, from Ray or Martin on uh, not just the starters but the bullpen? 
I mean, I think that's what these non-conference games early in the season are for, you know, just trying to figure out your bullpen. Your bullpen guys, guys, the guys that um, you trust in those late innings, mm-hmm. late inning situations. Uh, Tommy Vale came in, got one out, uh, looked pretty good this weekend. Um, other than that, you know, Caleb Bolden, who we mentioned, uh, Gray Thomas, you know, he's got an electric arm. Yep. I thought this reminds me, uh, speaking of freshmen, uh, Colin Feaster. He had a strikeout. Colin Feaster. Feaster. Uh, Cohen. Cohen, Cohen, Cohen Feaster. Uh, sorry, my apologies. Now you're messing up his first name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Poor Miss Feaster. <laughs> hey, we appreciate you listening. <laughs> but he ended an inning on a wipeout slider that broke all the way across the plate, landed almost in the dirt. Had the Kentucky hitters spinning in circles. Yeah, it looked like the Tasmanian Devil <laughs> after the event. Um, seeing that, uh, that kind of potential, you know, you can start to line these guys up. Yeah, for sure. Mar, what do you think? So, I mean, Kirk has a, he had a tough job going into this season, you know, replacing Haylin Green and uh, Chuck. And, you know, last year he had the luxury of having, or somebody else had the luxury of having River Ridings, you know, set those guys up. And, you know, now he's he's more into the closer role. And he's been, he's been fantastic. He's been amazing. He's really good. You can kind of look at Feaster and Thomas as River and Garrett Wright was last year. Sure, but but you know he's had to replace some some really key guys, and um, I'm also wondering where Drew Hill is. I don't think he's pitched in a game. He's Drew in... Hill, and we also left out Luke Savage too, the guy that's going to pitch some key innings. Yeah, but Drew Hill hasn't pitched at all this year, and that's, you know no, that's true. He got he, really he got does. 40 strikeouts last year, so I'm kind of wondering where he is. Maybe injury or something, but. You know, it'd be nice to get him into a game. But, uh, yeah, yeah Kirk, Kirk has some work to do with his bullpen. Right after the break, we'll be back with a few more Twitter questions and a look ahead to the uh, this week's games for Frog Ball USA. The slider is the third pitch. And you got a guy in Baker up there who is patient, will wait. Hang something up in the zone that's coming back in towards that barrel. He's shown the ability to turn it around. That is crushed! Left field, and it's fair, it's gone. Fair ball, home run. Oh, my goodness. He absolutely smoked it down the left field line. Luke and Baker, a home run, and TCU has the lead. It's 5-3. Wow. talking about the ability of Luke and Baker hitting the fastball all over the field. He gets a fastball away early in the game. He goes the other way. And this is two-seamer way inside. This pitch is way inside. So if he doesn't swing, it's a ball. He stays inside that ball, keeps it fair. What a swing by Lucas Baker. You see that body and you see the age and you don't think that he can do that. He did it in College Station with a fastball in on his hands off the plate. He does it again right here. That's 90-91, two-seamer in on his hands. And the big boy can flat hit. So are the Frogs fans. It's 5-3. See you later.
welcome back to Post Game Beers Podcast. Let's jump into a couple more Twitter questions. Our guy Kevin Peters at KDPeters99 asks, if you could add, if you could add one TCU alum to the current team, who would that be? Yeah, I'd go with the recent guy, Philip Sykes, just because he's a right-handed power hitter, just even up the lineup some with all those lefties. Okay, that's a nerd answer. I'm going to say Luke and Baker because I've never had more fun watching anybody else. His video uh, that I took uh, smashing a home run into the night. Was that um, your video? Yes. I actually took it the myself. OG video. It was. I, I was standing there and thinking, I mean, it's Luke and Baker. I'm just, yeah. I, and I took a video probably of every pitch that entire at bat, but we were sitting on the other side and uh, your, your commentary was a little more family friendly than what we yelled out when we hit that ball. <laughs> that was before we were corporate LDC. Just, uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Luke and Baker was so what about Ray? I'm going to say Jay Gunther, okay. person that can play first and play Absolutely right. Absolutely ranked um, that one year. Just ranked. Ranked this one year. Uh, Perk. 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 Natty Perk. boys. Natty. Yeah. Next All question. Right. All right, KD Peters 99 uh, asks another question. Which Big 12 school do you most want to road trip this year? So let me read down our away schedule at the Big 12. So we've got um, our first, actually, matchup is in a couple weeks at Baylor yep. uh, in March. Yep. Um, later on in April. Uh, we second, will be doing a GoFundMe to raise bail money for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in April, we will be playing at Texas. There's which, my answer. Which right I've, there. I've heard they play some some baseball. Uh, That's my year. answer. Uh, we'll be playing at Oklahoma State later on in April. Uh, then there's an, a, a non-conference against Florida State, which is actually pretty exciting. Um, at Kansas nope. in May, which I'll pass on that. So I think we have a couple options. If you want to uh, see something against our rival, maybe uh, maybe maybe Baylor, but otherwise Texas is going to be pretty electric. I want to see. Uh, I want to go to OSU and see that new Cowboy ballpark. Mm. Yep. Uh, it was supposed to open in the uh, COVID year of 2020. TCU was actually supposed to open that series. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, COVID canceled it out. So this will be the first opportunity to see TCU at this new ballpark. Next question. Well, I, I want to shout out Toad to Omaha. He asked a asked a similar question, uh, which is at GMFP. I'm not sure what that stands for. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Uh, similar question about the bullpen struggles, which we hopefully answered earlier. But he said, thoughts on Porter Brown? Um, did he come through last night? Well, he did come through, but, you know, that DH spot is another – we didn't touch on this, but that DH spot is another revolving door right now we need to figure out. Um, I was super high on Porter. I, I, I haven't lost hope. I think he'll figure it out. I'd like to see him maybe get a little more consistent playing time. But, you know, I also, on the other side, say, you know, if you're not producing, let's find somebody who is. Let's look forward to the week of games for the Frogs. So we're going to start off on Tuesday. The Frogs, as I mentioned, are still in Kentucky. They'll be playing Louisville on Tuesday. Unfortunately, it's not a night game for all you people who have jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is at 11 a.m. on the ACC network. Louisville is 8-3, and three, just like our Horn Frogs. They've won five straight, including the sweep against Akron. Woo! Previously, they beat, uh, they, they won a series against Dartmouth. So, wow. if you look through their schedule, it's pretty brutal. It sucks, no, okay? It does it suck. However, we did say that, uh, you know, against Kentucky last weekend, so we want to be careful. On, but we left, we, I mean, we didn't say uh, F Kentucky, we're yeah. going to sweep them. It was, we don't know. Right? One of the things that's a little bit scary is their last two games against Akron, they scored over 20 runs on, they actually had a doubleheader similar to us because of the yeah. weather. Both games, they scored over 20 runs. So if nothing else, they're feeling confident. They, they, they are. They're feeling confident. They're ready to host the Frogs on Tuesday 
I guess for brunch. I don't have much for this other than Cam Brown gets to pitch again. I get to kill some time at work um, watching this. And also, something that I think is easily forgotten is the game we played against Louisville in 2017 in Omaha. Probably the most electric, like most exciting, intense baseball games I've seen TCU play. We beat them 4-3, to three, and it felt like every at-bat was just crunch time. And I wish I could find a full recording of that game because I think we forget how fun that game was. Ray, what you got? A uh, little note that I've got is in their two midweek games that they've played so far, they allowed six runs to Xavier and then five runs respectively to Moorhead State. So We're scoring 11? Uh, yeah, you can look for <laughs> some offense from the Frogs in this game. Looks yep. like their, uh, Tuesday, their midweek rotation is a little uh, iffy. So next weekend, we welcome the Frogs back to Lupton uh, Stadium. And so obviously we will be there in attendance for um, most, if not all, of the games. We're playing Army, who is two and six so far in the season, including the sweep against Vanderbilt, which not, you know, they got two, swept against Vanderbilt. To be expected. I mean, Vanderbilt is Vandy, right? a, a great team. Yeah. So that's not surprising. But um, their only win so far against Richmond and Pitt, which honestly at this point means absolutely nothing to me. Let's sweep the series and get some at-bats for guys, you know, maybe figure out some question marks that we've already addressed, figure out the bullpen. This should be a tune-up going into Baylor the following week. Exactly. This is our last non-conference series before starting conference play, so we're hoping to have a great, uh, successful weekend. It is uh, Weather Alert by MK. It is supposed to be cold uh, on Saturday and, and Sunday, and so we'll see how that works out. Anything else, guys, before we head on out? Yeah, just a couple things. Uh, as we just mentioned, we have our first home series at Lupton against Army this weekend. For the Friday game, game time is at 6 p.m. From 4 to 6 or maybe 5.45 so we can get to Lupton on time, there's going to be a pregame party at the Dutch's Rooftop sponsored by our friends at Long Drink. Uh, there will be free Long Drink for you guys to come and enjoy and then free Long Drink swag. So join us out there. Uh, we'll be out there probably a little early, maybe like 3.45 or so, and 4 o'clock, 4 to, 4 to 5.45 or so. Come out and join us. Should be a good time. Um, second thing, just a shout-out to Halen Green and Philip Sykes, who had their banners posted at Lupton for being All-Americans. Uh, Halen's was already there because he already was an All-American, but he got an additional year added to him. And then we have a brand-spanking-new Philip Sykes banner hanging at Lupton, so that's cool for them. What about you guys? Any other, any other closing things? If you've made it this far in the pod, well, congratulations. You've made it farther than me. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're grateful for our LDC clubbers. If you've asked, how can I join the Lupton Drinking Club, guess what? You're already a member. Uh, we'll see you guys online Tuesday afternoon. Hopefully we'll have some memes for our friends at the Louisville baseball account. And next Friday in person for that pregame party. At Dutchess. Go Frogs. Go Frogs. All right, guys. Thank you all so much for listening to Post Game Beers. Presented by Sarlos and Sons Family Farm and Vineyards and Long Drink, the legend of 1952. Like Jacob said on Friday night before the game, we will have a joint get-together with Long Drink on the top of Dutch's rooftop. It's kind of at the rear of Dutch's um, back there. That'll be from 4 to 5.45 or 6, depending on when we want to leave to get to Lupton. Um, hopefully the audio was better for you guys this week. I think it was. Obviously, it definitely was. Uh, next step is for me to get a headphone jack to plug into the mixer so I can listen to the guys talk real time and do some high-level um, and mid-level adjustments on their sound. It's getting better, though. We're getting there. 
Um, we hope the frogs bounce back this tomorrow, actually, Tuesday, and then this weekend against Army. We will see you all out there at Lupton. Go frogs.